Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, Mission Whitetail, episode number 40. I can't believe it. 40 episodes. It's crazy. Uh, Back with our good buddy, Adam Hayes, we are going to do kind of a season update today, talk to Adam about what he's doing, and get into the struggles, I think, that that a lot of guys uh, run into this time of year and why that is. Why, why is Why is it difficult right now? You know, a lot of guys are getting nighttime pictures of the bucks they're after. Uh, you know, seasons are opening. Guys are wanting to get into the woods, and we'll, we'll get into all that. But, uh, Adam, what's up, buddy? How are you? Doing good, man. Excited. Can't believe another season is uh, – well, our season starts tomorrow, and I know yours already started, so hard to believe another one's here. I know. And, and uh, uh, let's see, Illinois – pops open um when monday or tuesday yeah on the first yep and then what about uh missouri's already open um yeah i think so and then iowa that comes in the first two right yeah i think so so yeah everything's getting open or or about open um what have you been up to Man, I just got back yesterday from uh, Illinois. I went over there for a couple days just to kind of, you know, do some last-minute scouting, move some cameras around, check a few key spots for, you know, some fresh sign and um, just kind of get an idea what's going on over there, you know, where the fresh sign was at and what the crops are looking like and and uh, it was a pretty, pretty fruitful trip, man. I, I found some really big sign. And for me, you know, for the opener, opening week, I don't think there's anything, you know, other than short of seeing a big deer, laying your eyes on him. Nothing gets me as excited as finding some really big sign, you know, big rubs like leg, leg size rubs. And I did find a couple of those. So you know, when you find something like that, you know you're dealing with a big animal, especially this early. Yeah. You know, I know little bucks will hit big rubs, but this early, you know, a big deer has, opens up, a, you know, on a big rub, you know, you got something. And, and you're, I mean, you've got tons of history on this property and, and you, you kind of know what's in there. And, and I, I'm guessing you're suspecting or maybe already got a picture of a good one in there or not yet. Well, we've got um, pictures of a pretty good one that I've had you know, passed him up the last two years. It's just a big, heavy 10 point that, um, you know, short time deer, but he's probably seven years old and he looks like he put on a bunch of mass this year. He seems like, you know, once a deer has got short times, he's always going to have short times and he hasn't gotten any taller, but he's definitely gotten heavier. But, um, 
that's a that's a deer in that area but on this particular farm where i found this big sign at there's been another deer about the same age that he's a wild deer man he's a non-typical he's probably only 12 inches wide but just giant bases and he's got stuff going everywhere and you know i've passed him up you know for probably three seasons and I was going to shoot him last year. I had him coming right to me um, in one of the spots where I found one of these big rubs at, and he caught my wind or something, and and uh, I didn't end up getting a crack at him. But if that deer is still alive, you know, he's seven, maybe eight years old, and I can't wait to see what he looks like this year because he's always been an impressive deer when, when they get to be that age and all the junk he's got going on. It's hard to say what he's going to look like this year. Well, hopefully, hopefully he's in there. Now, let, let's talk about that for a minute. Let, let's, or, or maybe not that deer, but you, you are pretty sure you've got that buck in there. You know, you need to verify that. But let's say that you had already gotten pictures of him, right? That, that you, you know he's in there. You've gotten pictures of him. And the season opens on Monday, right? And, and all your pictures are at night. You know, so many guys, I mean, I'm seeing it on social media all over the place. Guys going in and hunting, going in and hunting. They're in the trees, doing the selfies in the trees. What would make you go and hunt that deer for the opener? What would make you stay out of there and, and wait? Well, you know me, man. I err to the um, side of you know, not pressuring an animal until I know he's making a mistake in daylight. So, I mean, unless I've actually seen him with my own eyes or got pictures of him making a mistake during daylight, I'm just not going to go in blind and hope, you know, I get a crack at him and he comes strolling by. I mean, you know, first week of season is a great time to catch them with their guard down. Um, great time to kill a big deer especially a specific deer because they're doing the same thing pretty much every day but I'm not going to go in and educate that deer unless I know where I need to be to kill him and that he's you know making a mistake during daylight yeah it, you know it's I've sat three times this year and and South Carolina opened August 15th and having done this year after year after year after year I know the first seven to eight days in the state of South Carolina where I hunt, I've got a crack to get on one. And I'm pretty aggressive then. Um, lots and lots of cameras out, lots of scouting, and am ready to jump in the tree in the afternoon as soon as it's right. Then it, it really changes. As soon as they start rubbing that velvet off and kind of spreading out of those bachelor groups, they, they – I've got just as many cameras out and they're scattered in different areas now. You know, I've got them on scrapes. I've got them on acorn trees. I've got them on the edge of thickets, bedding thickets, um, a lot of scrapes. And the, the point is I haven't hunted since the opening week, but I'm still seeing those deer, right? I'm still seeing those deer every, every night. I'm getting lots of pictures of them moving through there. And even funnier, we finally got our first cool snap. You know, it got down to 60 degrees. It was probably 55, 58 in the swamp um, last night. 
And I had five mature bucks on 3,200 acres hit scrapes last night from 4.30 in the morning to 5.30 in the morning. But at daylight, you know, they, they were gone. But that's a lot closer. You know, all the action I've been getting has been in the middle of the night, midnight, 3 o'clock in the morning, and then, bam, a little bit of cold cold air comes through, a little bit of high pressure. And it'd be interesting to check the moon guide and see when the uh, when the, when the overhead moon was. But um, last night, you know, from 4 to 5.30, um, in the morning, five different mature bucks hit scrapes and it's getting closer, but I'm still not going in because th there's, there are two bucks in there that I'd, I'd really like to get an arrow in. And one of them has been on the fringe of daylight and the other one has not at all. You know, it's been the earliest I've gotten him is at 5 a.m. And I'm still waiting. I'm still staying out of there until I get that daylight and I won't, yep. won't go in there just because the season's open, just because it's the weekend. Now, now look, if, if guys just want to go hunt, they enjoy going and getting in the woods and getting away from the old lady, N knock yourself out, man. You know, nothing wrong with that. That's great. It's awesome. But if you, if you're really after a mature buck, if you're after a particular buck, then you have to hunt efficiently and you have to be real, real patient. Yeah. It goes back to that old adage, you know, you got to hunt smarter, not harder. And I get it. You know, I talk to guys every year, you know, um, through the moon guide that they're like, man, I got so much time to hunt. And when it's hunting season, I'm going to be hunting. I don't care what the moon's doing. And I get that, you know, and I'm not saying if the moon's not good, to not hunt you know but for me and you you know when we're talking about hunting these specific deer and you're trying to be smart about it and you don't want to make a mistake and tip these deer off that that they're being hunted you know if it's not a good moon you know and like the spot i'm talking about in illinois if that was here at home and i hadn't got a picture of that making that buck making a mistake in daylight i might be in an observation stand you know 200 300 yards down or across the field watching that spot where i know he's at waiting for him to pop out you know during daylight and make a mistake you know if it's not a good moon i'll i'll just sit back and wait for that spot to develop but you know every time you go in to those areas where these big deer are and you don't get it done the game gets tougher and tougher because they're going to pick up on your scent they're going to you know catch you going back to your truck after dark with the flashlight maybe you know they're, they're, chances are eventually they're going to pick up on something and you know i just don't want to take a chance on that so yeah if it's not a good moon you know it doesn't mean i'm not going to be hunting i might be scouting a different farm hunting a different animal or sitting back in an observation stand from a safe distance watching that area develop and waiting for him to show up and make make you know, make a mistake during daylight. Yep. That, that's a good point is, you know, or, or you, you go to a, you know, a lot of guys that listen, they do a lot of public land hunting, you know, you go to a different piece of public or, or whatever, and, and do some hanging and hunting. If that's what you want to do, if you're, if you're itching to get in and go, uh, go, just, just don't go to the spots that you think you're going to, 
you know, don't get, go to your kill spots. Right. E exactly right. Don't don't go to those. Yeah, we put so much time and effort into finding these big deer and letting them grow and scout and trying to figure them out. You know, why are you going to go in there before everything's right and spoil the whole thing? You know, yeah, it, it's about stacking the deck in your favor. Wait till you get a good wind, a good moon, a good weather pattern, you know, combination of two or three factors that are increase his chances of getting up and moving early before you dive in and educate that deer. Yeah, and you know, you know, here our rut will be going in probably. I, I would imagine the chasing will start in ten days, maybe maybe two weeks. You know, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll be going. We'll we'll be going. Early. Yeah, we we got scrapes. Like I said last night, man, there there were bucks making rounds. Um, you know, hitting scrapes. Um, you know, I've got a we we've got these gobbler sawtooth oaks planted on this one pace, and there's several groves of them, and I've got cameras up and down those things. And um, a what a gobbler sawtooth oak <laughs> is that a real thing? Yeah, say that five times. Hey, Lucas, look up gobbler sawtooth oaks and show us a picture. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, a gobbler sawtooth oak. Don Higgins would be very proud of my tree prowess, wouldn't he? <laughs> I am too, because I've never heard of that. All right, let's just say it's a sawtooth oak. How about that? Is that okay. you've heard of those? I was having visions of turkeys with fangs hanging down and <laughs> <laughs> Halloween is coming, man. It'll be here before we know it. I'm yeah. gonna up as a gobbler sawtooth. <laughs> uh, so uh, what are you? I'm a gobbler sawtooth oak. <laughs> deer eat all of my acorns. Oh gosh. That's funny. Yeah. So I've got cameras on all of these sawtooth oak grove groves. And um where was I going with that? Oh, the, the does will come in there and feed at night. And um, you know, the then the bucks will come in and you can see them looking on the text cams, and then you can see them tucking their tail and moving out of there. Whereas before they were kind of feeding in there you know, together, the buck, you know, they, they don't, you know, they don't really like being around each other a lot, but it was all tolerable. And now it is not tolerable at all. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably two weeks. Two That's weeks. what you're seeing the does do on camera. Oh yeah. 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 Kind of like when you go into the bar every weekend. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when Lucas goes into the bar. They all tuck their tails and, and, uh, run. And run. But I, he is laughing. He's about to blow a gut. Oh man, to be twenty again, Lucas. To be twenty again. Uh, all right. Oh. So I, here, here's what's going on in my world right now, as far as you know, this time of year with everything about open, um, South Carolina being open, the rut about to get going here. Uh, it's not quite pre-rut yet, but it's 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 itching there. So I've got one particular buck that I hunted a little bit last year. He broke off the G2. And for, for our swamp and our area, he is a really good buck. He, he's a big 10 point. He's at least five and a half. And if I get him, uh, it, it'll be probably the buck of the season for me. And he, he's not going to score, you know, he won't be north of 140, but he's a, he's a good, solid South Carolina buck. And I'd love to get him because I've got a ton of history and I hunted him some last year. 
Uh, he did not show up any early season. And the year before, I had a ton of early season velvet pictures of him. This year, none. So I didn't know if he was gone, if he was killed or what. But as soon as the transition started, I, I kept all my cameras in where he had been after he after he had gone hard horn. And voila, there he was. So, and it happens to be in one of those sawtooth flats that, that he was coming in to feed. And, and okay, there he is, middle of the night. So then what was my tactic? What was my plan? You know, you get a three o'clock picture of a deer. Um, that that just tells you he's there. You, you, I mean, he could be coming from anywhere, right? I mean, he could be coming from miles away. So what I did is I obviously kept camera there. There's another sawtooth flat about four or 500 yards away from this one. I put another camera in there. And then I really just did. I looked at, at the aerial and I know the property really well. I, I just did almost a web of cameras around this area. And then the scrapes that he hit last year already had cameras on those. And that I, I tell you, these cameras make you so efficient. You know, not, not to get off of uh, off of my point here, and I'll, I'll circle back to that. But but the cameras, w whether you think they're ethical, unethical, whatever it is, that's a whole nother story. They they make you so efficient because you can. It's almost like you're they're, they're hunting for you, right? They are mm -hmm. out doing the intel, and let's say tomorrow they outlawed cameras what's going to happen, you're going to have to resort back or add a whole lot more of woodsmanship, right? You're going to have to do a heck of a lot more hunting. You're going to have to take a lot more risk. You're going to have to go in daily, you know, or, or as much as you can find fresh sign. You're not going to necessarily know what buck's in there, what buck's not in there. And, and that's a whole nother game. And that, that, that's probably a great game to play. But again, moving back to a particular deer, these cameras have, have made things so efficient that, you know, I've cast this web now and I'm able to stay completely out of there. I'm monitoring these things every morning when I get up, like everybody else listen to this, it's like Christmas morning, you know, you're going through your, your pictures and boom, he's on a scrape over here. Boom, he's back in the sawtooth. Boom, he's, he's coming out of this thicket. And then... You know, I I finally got that 7:45 p.m. picture of him sneaking out of a thicket. So I've I've kind of drilled down to where he's coming from to get in there to feed, where he's coming out of bedding, and my plan now is again to monitor. I've already I already know that area, and when I get that first evening daylight of him coming out of there. I've got a north stand, a south stand to pop in there and be ready to get on him. So that's really what I'm doing right now with the buck I have. I'm monitoring those pictures and I'm waiting for him to to pop in daylight one time and then I'll start hunting. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as my out of state stuff, you know, I've got um, cameras in Ohio, I've got cameras in Kentucky, and I've got cameras in Kansas. And there's some some good bucks. Uh, there's a good buck in Ohio, 
And I know there's going to be, there's one nice nine in Kansas and I know other and more stuff will pop up there with Seymour out there. But um, that that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Now with you opening up in Ohio, what, what, what are you doing right now? I'll tell you that, but there's a point I want to make before I get into that, that I just thought of when you were talking about, you know, your, your cameras and, how you're kind of, you know, casting your web um, to get more intel on that deer. And I think a lot of guys need to make sure that they're, you know, when they're getting pictures of these deer right now, they need to be making sure that they're taking advantage of all the information that that picture is actually telling them. And I thought about this the other day when I was hanging um, cameras on those rubs, you know, so you get, you find good sign, you hang a camera and you get a picture of a deer. Well, great. You got a picture of them. But what else is that picture really telling you? You know, when you look at, say, if it's a rub, you know, and that rub is facing a general direction, you know, what direction that deer came from. And then if you look at, you know, your timestamp on those pictures, you know, if it's in the evening, He's hit, he's hit, made that rub in the evening and, and you know what direction he's coming from. That's the direction that he was betting in, obviously, in the direction he's going to feed, you know, and those are all important pieces to the puzzle that, you know, you can gather from just one picture that, you know, guys need to make sure they're, you know, going to that next step and thinking about all that to try to put these pieces of the puzzle together. You know, a lot of guys might not necessarily have access to 10 or 20 cameras so they need to make sure they're, you know, they're gathering as much intel they can from, you know, one or two cameras that they can. And if you think about it, you know, it makes a lot of sense and it might sound, you know, you know, elementary, but I know a lot of guys that don't even think about that, you know, they don't think about the direction of travel. And if it was morning or evening, you know, is that deer coming from his bed or is he heading back to his bed? And there's just a lot of more and a lot more information you can gather from one picture than just, you know, verifying what deer it was. Yeah. And wind direction, you know, what wind he was using. Oh. Um, you, you know, you, you've you got the things now where you can look back at, at wind, um, past data, wind direction, that sort of stuff. I tell um, you what, that's not, that's not an easy thing to find. You know, if you got a picture, if you happen to get a trail camera picture of a buck from two weeks ago or even, you know, two years ago, if you're going through old pictures and you want to go somewhere and find, you know, what was the wind doing on that day in that specific area two weeks ago? That's not easy information to find. And that's one of the things that we added to the Moon Guide app on the journal entries, where if you take your specific location, the date, the time that you got a trail camera picture and make a journal entry in the Moon Guide app, it will take a snapshot of the weather from that day, whether it was two days ago, two weeks ago, two years ago. Because if you if you go to, you know, Google and try to find what direction was the wind doing on this day in this location three weeks ago, that's not easy information to find. No, and that, I mean, so so you've got it right there at your fingertips. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's that's probably the, that's probably the key. That's probably the key feature to that journal in the app is being able to know 
not only what the wind was doing, you know, for a specific day and time and location, but what the moon was doing, what the barometric pressure was doing, all that stuff. It takes a snapshot of all that weather information along with the moon and it's right there at your fingertips. So all right now, will it also, Adam, let's say that I've got a picture that I didn't put in the journal. You know, I've got a a picture, you know, from from two years ago of a deer that I thought was dead and gone and, and all of a sudden, bam, he shows up and, and I've got the date of that picture. Can I look just that data or, or would, would I have had to have put that picture into the journal? No, when you create the journal, you're, you're creating it for a specific location that you're putting in, you know, zip code. Um, you're putting in the date, you're putting in the time, and then you're uploading the picture as well into that. So you don't have to have any of that stuff already in there. You're oh, oh, adding it, all that. Oh, it's got like an algorithm that it goes back and finds that stuff. Yes. Ah, brilliant. Yeah. That, no, that's awesome. Okay, cool. I'm glad I know that. <laughs> I should have known that. <laughs> you should have known that. I should have known that. Yes, I actually, did. that's that's something that I added to the journal a couple of years ago after um you started you left the moon guide and started osseo so yeah that's that's something i added to it after you left yeah yeah that's right that yeah that makes sense you don't you don't you're you're one of those guys that never puts all his cards on the table at the beginning you like to slow <laughs> play slow play slow play yeah that's that's how it works yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah so as far as what i'm doing you know like i said i went over to illinois just because I wanted to get the the most recent intel I could get on the farms and then obviously rush back here home because season opens tomorrow. So here at home in Ohio, I've got a couple bucks um, that I've been watching all summer. You know, I think one of them's five. I think the other one's probably four. They're both in that 160 range. Um, the five-year-old is just one of those typical big bodied bully animals that really needs to be shot as soon as possible because he's going to run everything else off the farm. He's going to end up breaking, you know, everybody up as far as the racks go. And like I said, he's a five-year-old deer, 160. I don't think he's ever going to be much more than that because he's got, you know, the, the short tine gene. Um, and it's just a big mature animal. So, Plan is to try to get my nephew on that buck this weekend for the opener. The other deer, I think that I talked to you about, you know, it's one of those deer where he's got short tines too. He's got some extra junk. Who knows? He might not be anything more than that next year, or he might throw a bunch more points. You know, it's hard to say because he's at that age, you know, four where, you know, is he going to make a big jump next year? Or is he just going to be the same old thing every year like this other deer? So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what really what to do about that buck, but I'd really like to see my nephew get a crack at this other deer this weekend for the opener. And I thought about shooting him myself. You know, he's a mature buck, but I had two really good deer last year, late season, that I know made it that were in that 155, 160 range, either of those deer could be a giant this year and they just haven't shown up yet, but they both showed up late last year, you know, 
one showed up, I think the first week of August and the other one was the or first week of September and the last one was the end of September. So, you know, they could be out laying in the bean field somewhere still on their summer pattern and could show up any day. So I don't yeah. want to get stuck with my pants down shooting a 160 and then have a giant show up. So. Yeah, then you got to call me, and it's just a terrible thing. It's just, yeah, it's it's a horrible. Oh, Lucas is pointing at himself. Lucas said you got to call him. <laughs> yeah, the trials and tribulations of hunting season. So yes, without a doubt. Um, you 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 made a point earlier, um, and I want to piggyback or or revisit a little bit. What I, what I have done the last few years, and, and I've made quite a few social media posts about this, is staying ahead of the shift, right? Um, you know, you run your cameras early on the early, feed, early season food sources, the beans, you know, wh whatever else. If you're running bait piles, you know, you got your cameras on your bait piles, whatever it may be. And then a lot of guys will wait until that they, they quit doing that and then they'll pull their cameras and move them in to the other areas. Well, that's maybe a little bit too late to do that. You know, as soon as it starts to get out of early season and they start to come out of their velvet, um, I, I will go ahead and move my cameras to the spot where I'm expecting them to be later. Uh, and, and so that, that brings up the point, right? Let's say that you haven't done that. Let's say that you have, you've got your cameras all on the early season stuff. You had a big buck that was coming to a mineral lick or whatever it may be over and over and over again. You left your camera there. Um, you left your camera on beans. Now you've, you've moved a camera into a scrape into, uh, you know, more of a, a pre-rut rut type area and boom, there he is, middle of the night, but he's transitioned. So would you leave it alone knowing that he's in there, or are you going to go in there and cast your web once you see the deer? What would you do? You follow, you follow the question, you know, the, the risk versus reward thing that, okay, is it worth going in there and poking around all over the place and putting five or six more cameras out? And, and leaving all your scent and, and, and possibly bumping him or, Hey, I know he's in there. Do I, you know, that, that's a, that's a question I struggle with, you, you know, myself all the time is, you know, do I go in there now that I've, I've found that deer and, and really try and pinpoint him with cameras? Yeah. It's a fine line because, you know, the last thing you want to do is be, you know, waste a bunch of time in the wrong spots you know we only got so much time you know during hunting season and you know before you know it the rut's going to be kicking in and they're going to be changing you know their patterns again so you know but in your case when you got a buck and you know he's there and at this time of the season I think it's where a lot of guys struggle you know a lot of guys talk about the October lull and, and um, how difficult it is to hunt. And I think in your case that you're talking about too, even though your guys' season has progressed a little bit more than ours with, you know, the rut kicking off earlier. I think the thing really is, you know, those deer are doing still pretty much the same thing every day. 
but they're all doing in this small little area. And they're really predictable. They're really killable because they're doing the same thing. But it's so hard to get into those areas without tipping them off because they're doing, you know, the same thing just in this little tiny spot. So, you know, it's a it's a great scenario where, you, you know, if you could have your stands pre-hung, you know, because you know that's where that deer is going to end up being this time of the year. Um, it's always good to have that stuff pre-hung. But if you don't, you know, you come, it comes down to, you know, possibly having to do a hanging hunt, you know having your mobile system ready to do a hanging hunt and dive in and kill him. Um, and if you don't really know exactly what he's doing, you know, do you go in and put a bunch more cameras in there and take a chance on bumping him? You know, I think, you know, you and I know how aggressive Andre has been over the years and he's made a career out of being aggressive and he doesn't buy into the whole theory about, you know, blowing a deer out of the County, you know? So I think, you know, you do it smart, you know, like he used to talk about, you know, you have a stand and sticks on your back, maybe have your backpack with you and a couple cameras, get the wind in your face and, and be smart about, be smart about it. If you're going to go in, you know, he liked to scout with the wind in his face because it, it didn't bother him busting the deer out of his bed as long as that deer didn't smell him, you know? So he always kept the wind in his face and he wants to have a stand on his back because if he did bump him, he wants to put a stand up immediately while he's there and then be right back there the next morning and the morning after that and the morning after that, making sure the first time that buck comes back, he's there waiting so that that buck doesn't come back, smell something new going on in there and not come back. He wants to be there waiting. So I think the best approach is probably be a little aggressive but be smart about it you know have your standing sticks have a couple cameras go in there with the you know with the wind in your face and just be smart about it because um you know another couple of weeks that deer could have be could be killed he could be a mile away chasing does in your, your situation with the rut coming up so you know i think there's a fine line like i said of being aggressive um but being smart about it so yeah, I guess and, probably be my suggestion. And you've got to, you, you've got to learn, right? Um, you, you can only sit on the sidelines so long for, for me, the, the risk is worth the reward, right? Um, it, it's worth going in there in the middle of the day and getting some cameras hung. Um, you know, the, the, the point is, which everybody can't do, is to is to really know your properties and have the cameras already set, right? You, you know where the scrapes are going to be. You know where all that is. And before the transition, you're, you're ahead of the shift and you've got everything in there and traps are already set. But that that's not going to always happen. And, you know, I've got some flyer cameras. I've got some cameras because I, I – um, I always like to have a backup plan, right? I mean, I, I'm, you know, there's other people to hunt this property and, and, you know, he could at any minute he could get killed and th then what? So I've got other cameras that are just, you know, flyer cameras on areas that I hadn't hunted, you know, outside of, of really what I know well. And, and let's say that one did pop on one of those cameras like tonight. Well, tomorrow, Saturday morning, um, you know, I, I would, I would get, I would get, go harvest some cameras and move them to this other area. Absolutely. I would. 
um, because yeah. I, I think the the risk is worth the reward. Um, yeah. You know, if if Bobby if if Bobby was listening to this Worthington, he he would say we're the biggest fools on the on the planet. You know, he'd say you guys need to stay out of there. You know, early season's over. You need to stay out of there until around Halloween when the temperature drops five or six degrees and get in your rut funnel and sit in that funnel the rest of the season. That's what he would say. He would say, you know, the deer's there. He's going to have to come through that funnel eventually. So get in there and, and hunt him in that funnel and stay in that funnel. Um, yeah. You know, that's his philosophy. So you got two highly successful killers, Andre and Bobby, that have completely different philosophies on how to do it. Um, and, and, you know, you, you can learn and take tactics from both those guys. And, you know, I, I'm a big rut funnel guy too. The issue that I have here in South Carolina, th there aren't those terrain features, right? I am in flat swamp country. I've got some, some food plots, some oxbows, you know, bends in the rivers. I've got like a, um, a fenced in duck pond that, that deer, nothing can get in. And then, you know, like a food plot 200 yards from it. So that creates, you know, those, those bigger deer are going to avoid that food plot during daylight and th they can't get into that fenced in duck pond. Um, and the reason the duck pond is fenced is because the hogs are so bad, you know, they get into that planted corn and destroy them. So they fence the whole duck pond in, but that created a funnel, if you will. But as far as, you know, like giant bluffs and big ditch crossings and things like that, big, big hill country, um, you know, I, I don't have the ability to funnel stuff down. You know, we get edges and, and we can drop some trees and stuff to create them, but that's tough to do here. Yep. Yep. I hear you. And I was, I was blown away with how different Bobby's approaches to mine, you know, we're polar opposites, but yet he's found a system that works for him. I've got a system that works for me and, you know, neither of us are wrong because, you know, it, it works for us. Right. So it's all relative. Um, and I was thinking one other thing, what we were just talking about, you know, with your cameras and getting aggressive about it and my trip over to Illinois, I normally try to plan this when I'm at home. And I just got lucky on my trip to Illinois that the day after I got there and did all that scouting, we had a big storm come through. And I think that's really important right now that if you can time, you know, those aggressive scouting trips, you know, when you know you're going into his home area. You know, if you can time it to where you can do it right before or even during a rain so it washes all your scent away. But that's, you know, I've done that for a long time, and I think that helps tremendously. Yeah, that, that's a that's a real good point. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and to, to the point that guys have taken it, taken it even further to where, you know, they've got to move a stand or move a camera, and it's a 2.30 in the morning thunderstorm that comes through you know they'll set a dadgum alarm clock and get up and and during that thunderstorm go move if, if the deer is that big and that important to them um you know that's that's out of the box right that's something out of the box but it's it's like anything else it's it's how important is it to you and how hard are you willing to work for that's also a great time to go in to hang a morning set because 
it's impossible to hang a morning set right now during the day because you're going to bump him out of his bed. You know, yeah. when is he not going to be there in the middle of the night? So, yeah, if if that's if that's what you got to do, that's the only time you can get it done is the middle of the night. Yeah. You just better be there <laughs> the first time he comes back. Yes, because if he rolls in there and, and smells that you've been fooling around in there, it is it is a uphill battle from then on. Yep. The game Absolutely. gets hard. Game gets hard. All right. So you you've got Illinois this year. You've got obviously at home. We're going to go to Mexico in December, hopefully. Um, what what else? Um, I've got some possibilities in uh, Kentucky and Texas. Kind of waiting to see if either of those are going to come through. But I went up early season, first week of September to Alberta with clay and didn't get it done so um last week last 10 days of october i'm heading back to alberta oh good so yeah get the pre-rut up there yeah it's um that's his last week before all of his gun hunters come in you know gun season opens first of november up there so it's uh season's a little bit more progressed up there by then weather's gonna be a lot colder but um yeah Last I was up there two years ago, the last week of October, and had a lot of action. So I'm looking forward to getting back up there. So that's that's really my plan right now. Kind of bounce back and forth between home in Illinois, and then head up to uh, Alberta last week of October. Yeah, yeah. My my, you know what I'm doing right now is is I'm gonna be hunting at home. I hope to be able to get in the tree this weekend or. Uh, you know, next week, uh, I'm, I'm again, not going to force it, but it, it's about time to, to start getting after it. If I can just get a couple daylights, it, it'll be time to go. And then as far as Kentucky, Kansas, and Ohio, it's, it's just kind of a sit and wait game. Right. And then, yeah. you know, if nothing between now and, and the end of October, pops like it should then then lucas and i'll get on the road probably around the 28th or lucas when was that trip you had uh, all right so lucas has got a trip on the 26th so that'll be the day we leave for work is on the 26th <laughs> <laughs> oh i wish you could see his face right now he gets so tickled <laughs> uh, it's such a strategic nightmare trying to figure out where you need to be and when you need to be there you know because you know you're dealing with animals and mother nature and we know that neither of those are predictable yeah so. it, it is a it is a, a strategy um w without a doubt and you know it keeps you up at night you know thinking do i need to be here do i need to be there i mean it but that's all part of to me that's all part of the fun oh yeah that's that's all part of the fun. It's part of the game. It's part of you know outwitting, outthinking, making the right call. You know it it it's worse than baseball. I mean, you're going to fail way more than you succeed. Uh, but you you know you, you you keep going at it over and over and over again. Yep. Yeah, that's what makes it so sweet when it finally works out. Without a doubt. Well, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, speaking of fun. Uh, I have started shooting a recurve bow and I know you've got some experience with that, but you talking about a whole new world that my friend is a whole new world. Yeah. 
you know, I, Bobby's a seven-time world champion, and I've been hitting him up a little bit on some some shooting tips and stuff, and he thinks I'm crazy. Uh, he, he told me, he said, I'm a seven-time world champion, and I don't hunt with mine, and you're going to try to hunt with one. Uh, but but he, all jokes aside, he I really have enjoyed it. Um, I, I've uh, got a bow being built, and then I've got one that Tom Jeffrey made for me that I've been shooting and, and I'm getting pretty decent inside, tw- you know, 20 yards and in getting pretty decent. Got some arrows rigged up for it yesterday. And my plan is to try and shoot it every day that I can up until we go to Mexico. And then my goal is to try and shoot a buck while we're in Mexico with it. So that, I think that'll be pretty neat. Nice. Yeah. There's something to be said about the simplicity, you know, of a longbow or a recurve and not worrying about, you know, all the gadgets and the sights. I mean, just pulling back and letting her go. You know, I've been shooting a longbow ever since I was four years old. And I actually had a custom longbow made. It's probably been, it's probably been close to 15 years ago because I wanted to um, go up to northern Saskatchewan, bear hunting with it where you and I went. Yep. I, I ended up shooting a bear with it, you know, off the ground at like 10 yards. And that was just... Now, that does take it to a whole new level. But, man, when you climb up in a tree and you are, you know, you're handcuffed to shooting 20 yards, maybe 25 if you're good, I've not got to the point yet where I'm willing to take a chance because I know the first time I do, the haze buck is going to walk by me at 45 yards and I'm not going to be able to do anything. I know, man. I know, I know, I know. It is that is so true. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to get I want to get really good at it from you know five yards to 25 yards and and and, and start hunting with it and just make the commitment and just start doing it. And you know, I, I talked with Seymour about it a good bit because Rock and all those guys, you know, they're they're on your Team 200 staff, and they that's all they do. And Seymour says they they just set themselves up to where it's a 20 yard shot or in. You know, most uh-huh. of the, most of the thickets and stuff that they get in, you know, or you know, they're 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 hanging in those cedars in Kansas, and they're gonna have they're if they see one, they're gonna have a close shot. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, that's – it's it's basically impossible, you know, because you can see further than you can shoot. So, you know, if, if he does get get through there, I guess that's just one of those things. It's like Porkchop. You know, he's he used to always say, Dad, what happens when he walks out at 80 yards? I can kill him with my rifle and you can't. You know, it's the it's the same adage, right? And and now he's started bow hunting. You know, he he's he hasn't completely hung the, the rifle up, I don't think, but – but he's hunted a couple times this year and it's been with the bow and he seems to really be liking it. So, yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah, it is pretty. You neat. know, what's going to happen in Mexico, you're going to see Mui Grande at 40 yards and <clears throat> yeah, you're going to be SOL. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I, I've been talking to the, the ranch manager down there, Homero and, we're going to try to find, you know, a decent sized tree. I can get a little lock on in and, um, cause, cause those, those tower stands that they have or those enclosed stands, like those bank stands that they have down there, it, I think it'd be kind of tough to shoot out of one of those. 
um, maybe not impossible. I'm trying to re envision it from last last year, and I think you could get it done out of that. But boy, being in a tree and a lock on would sure make it a lot easier. Yeah. Didn't what were you telling me yesterday that your arrows? What are your arrows weigh? Five thirty-five is is what they were. Five hundred thirty-five, and that was a total arrow weight. There was uh, two hundred fifty grains up front, so it's got some serious FOC. And it, it's a whole different world from my compound setup, right? See, yeah. compound. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, why did you land on that weight? Was that yes. pre predetermined? No, it absolutely wasn't. So um, my compound setup, you know, I'm four, 450, 470 grain total air weight, mechanical broadhead, um, shooting as fat, you know, 305 feet per second, flat shooting, one pin, zero to 30, whole different animal. As I've researched this, the, the, the traditional stuff, it seems simple, but man, there's a lot to it. So mm -hmm. I had my recurve, I, I strung it back up, made sure they told me to have the brace height at about eight inches. So I had the brace height at eight, eight inches. Um, and I had some old arrows they gave me and they were flying funky, right? I, I was working on my form real close and they were all hitting the target, you know, with right, right, right. The, you know, the fletchings, it was hitting it with the, the fletchings to the right. And, and so they told me that it was because it was too, too weak of a spine or too stiff. I can't remember what the, the spine was off. So I literally, I, I'm real good friends with the guy that owns our archery shop and he builds recurve bows. And I, I called them and, and said, Hey, I got to come get some arrows. And, and they let me sneak in there about an hour before they opened. And we literally got a shaft and, and started messing with it. And, you know, it was a full length shaft. We started adding weight. We started adding, you know, different weighted knocks, different point weight. And then we, we got it close and then we cut it down about two inches and put a 50 grain insert and a 200 grain feel point. And then, I mean, it was like you just hit the recipe of the perfect, you know, chocolate chip cookie. I mean, it, yeah. I couldn't do anything wrong. It was just like a dart every time out of the bow. And and that's yeah. what they said is that's the recipe that bow likes. If if I went down 50 grains or went up 50 grains, it didn't like it. You know, it would get some, some wobble in flight. But for some reason, either it's my form or that bow, 500 and it was actually 536 total grains for, from knock to point. That's what it liked, and it literally was a dart every time I let an arrow go. And it, it took about an hour, hour and a half to get it. Yep. I know you want to shoot something heavier. I mean, I shoot 450 on my whitetail setup, and then for elk and bear, I shoot like 650. Um, but And I'll have to go back and check. I'll, I'll go down in my shop and weigh one, but I'm pretty sure – um, Bob Morrison's the guy that built my longbow for me. And he, he's been around a long time. He built bows for the Wenzel brothers and for a lot of those old school guys. And I would almost bet you money that my arrows for my longbow are north of 800 grains. Oh my gosh. They were super heavy. Now, I don't remember if we had them set up that heavy because I was going to be bear hunting but um, 
he stressed the importance of shooting a, a great big heavy arrow. And I know we had brass insert stuff stuffed up there, you know, inside of the heaviest arrow shaft that we could find. And I was shooting like a 200, 250 grain broadhead. But I mean, yeah, they were super heavy. And I mean, I shot that bear at like 10 or 15 yards and that arrow blew right through that bear. And I, you got me wondering now exactly what it was, but I'm going to bet you those arrows are north of 800 grains. I don't doubt it. That You know, what, the transition, right? You, you look at the kinetic energy and the momentum that a 450-grain arrow out of a modern compound with um, with the speed and trajectory they get you, you know that the, the penetration out of that and then you if you run that math there are formulas for that right you can take a 70 pound bow the speed of the arrow the weight of the arrow and compare that to penetration becomes the big thing to me with the with the long bow or the recurve you've got to maximize yep. penetration so that's a fixed blade head a heavier arrow um because you, you you're not generating the speed they're yeah. not generating the efficiency and the speed and so you, you've got to maximize the other end of that, that spectrum because you can't get the speed. I mean, if you, yeah. if you shoot a 330 grain arrow out of a 50 grain recurve, you're still not getting the speed to, to, to make the kinetic energy and the momentum. So yeah. it, it's, it's fascinating, but it, it's a, it's a, it's literally a whole nother world. The standard, yeah. is, the standard is still the standard, right? That That's something that, you know, I always thought, if you go traditional, you got to start wearing plaid and weird hats and, you know, hunt off the ground and look like, look like Robin hood, but that, that's not the case, man. The standard is the standard, right? We're, I'm still going to be chasing giant deer. I, I'm, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to shoot a, shoot a doe with it. Sure. But th that, that's not the goal. The goal is not to shoot a two-year-old buck, right? The, the goal is still to kill big stuff with it. You, you yeah. just, you got to get proficient enough. And, and you got to get close enough to them. And, and that's really what I'm so excited about is, is that it's, it's opened up a whole nother realm and it's, it's getting into, I mean, the whites of their eyes range. And that, yeah. that, that to me is, is cool. Yeah. Yep. You got to get up close and personal with them. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, well that's cool, man. That, that's going to be exciting. Yeah, I, I am, and 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 I'm I'm so hoping you get to make that trip because that'll be a lot of fun. Lucas will be down there. We get to pick on him for like seven days straight. So I mean, what could be better? Well, maybe we should sit together. That way, anything that's outside of twenty yards, I'll shoot it. <laughs> I like it. That's a great idea. <laughs> oh man! All right, buddy. Well, uh, once again, always a pleasure. We'll get on another one soon, and uh, I'll be talking to you, and good luck the rest of the season, and we'll come back on here and give everybody a recap when we get some blood on some arrows. Sounds good, man. Looking forward to a big opener. All right, buddy. Good luck. Keep me posted.